Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding National Liberal Arts College. In this 27th edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year, we'll preview Mama's Celebration of Law Day, which will be held on this April 21. And after a successful Scott's Day of Giving on April 15th, college historian and editor Jeff Rankin will look back on the evolution of one of the college's biggest annual celebrations in the spring. Law Day was established in 1958. The National Day is meant to reflect on the rule of law and the importance of law in society. The official day of the national celebration is May 1, but Monmouth will celebrate Law Day this year on campus on April 21. The college will celebrate Law Day with a great guest speaker, Vincent Philip Munoz. He's the Tocqueville Associate Professor of Religion and Public Life and Concurrent Associate Professor of Law at the University of Notre Dame. Professor Munoz Munoz's talk, which will be at 7 o'clock on April 21, will be delivered on Zoom, and it's free and open to the public. To find the Zoom link of his talk, check out the story by my colleague Barry McNamara. That's in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website, monmouthcollege.edu slash news. Monmouth political science professor Andre Audet is the principal organizer of Law Day on campus. Andre says that Professor Munoz is one of the best speakers to have for this important day. And he is a very prolific author and speaker on the First Amendment to the Constitution and particularly the religion clauses. Um, So he's going to be talking about what is the free exercise of religion, religious liberty, and the American Constitution. As Andre points out, Law Day is a celebration of the rule of law in American public life. Well, the American Constitution was very unique when it was first, uh, first written and is indeed actually pretty unique today in many respects. Um, It was the first system where the American people actually had some vote in who became the president of the United States. It devised a lot of new systems with separation of powers, the checks and balances, lots of different ways, unique features of our constitution. And there have been many countries around the world that have adopted in part some of those features of our constitution. Um, There have been some that are more prevalent elsewhere than others. But it is certainly a very unique American institution. And I think that's something that uh, many Americans are very proud of, the fact that we do have the Constitution that has survived as long as it has and has set up a very unique system of government and, and one of the very early movements towards democracy around the world. And the Establishment Clause in the Constitution is among the more controversial parts of the document, as Andre explains. And indeed, some of the justices on the Supreme Court have said that the religion clauses are the most controversial, the most tortured of all of the different components of the Constitution. Because it is so controversial, um, it has a historical element. What did the framers intend when they wrote the Constitution? It has some practical implications today 
that are very tricky, um, thinking about what actually is a religion, how do we define that, and then how do we put that into practice regarding laws in the country. So I think it is something that it's been controversial since they were first written. It is still very controversial. We can usually count just about every year that there's going to be a religion case before the Supreme Court. Well, I think it is one area where the Supreme Court has actually not been very consistent. Typically, the Supreme Court will try to develop a legal test that they can apply to these different cases. And the Supreme Court has not had a very consistent test in either the Establishment Clause or the Free Exercise Clause of religion. Um, but I think it is still useful for us to continue having these debates and think about the role of religion in American public life, because certainly the role of religion has changed. We've seen drastic changes in who adheres to what religion, who, how many people have a religion at all, and how we try to practice those religions. So I think it is something that's useful for us to continue having these discussions, having these debates, and examining what role do we want religion to play in American public life, and how does that fit and square away with the Constitution and the laws that we have in place. Mama's outstanding political science program is a great springboard that the college's students take to get to law school. As Andre notes, Mama's political science program has sent Scott's graduates to some of the top law schools in the country. Well, that's one thing that I love talking about because we have had a very good track record of sending students to top law schools in the Midwest and around the country. Um, last year, uh, two of our placements were at uh, the University of Notre Dame and at Indiana University, which are regarded as some of the top law schools in the country. So we were very fortunate to have some very excellent students who went on to attend law school at those um, institutions. And even this year, we've had some good success early on of sending students to some great law schools. So we're really proud of that. We work very hard to prepare students, not only to get into law school, but to be successful once they get into law school. Um, so we help them practice reading the law and writing about the law and thinking critically about the law. And so, of course, I'm really proud of all of our students who've gone, gone on to law school, but I'm even more proud that once they get there, they tend to be very successful and go on to do many great things as well. Um, but I really do think that having the skills that you need to be successful in law school is really important. And I think that's something that Monmouth College does really well and that a liberal arts education does really well because students are able to think critically, not just about the law, but about lots of different subjects. And so they're really well prepared to go and think about cases regarding religion, but also to think about cases about taxes or intellectual property and all of the many different facets that go into the law. So I think a, a liberal arts education is a perfect preparation for the legal education that one would get in law school. That's Monmouth political science professor Andre Audette previewing the college's celebration of Law Day that will be April 21 on campus. You can read more about the April 21st celebration, which includes a link to the talk that will be given on that day. It's in the preview story, and that's in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website, monmouthcollege.edu slash news. This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. 
Mama's fifth annual Scott's Day of Giving wrapped up seven minutes before midnight struck on April 16. After a flurry of fundraising that lasted 18 hours and 53 minutes on April 15, the college once again successfully raised money to support students and the programs that support their Monmouth experience. To read more about the day's success, check out the news story on the cover of the news and events section of the Monmouth College website. And of course, that address is monmouthcollege.edu slash news. As some longtime Scots know, the origins of Scots Day of Giving stretch back more than 100 years. Joining us to walk through that very rich and interesting history is Monmouth historian and editor Jeff Rankin, who of course is a veritable encyclopedia of Monmouth history and culture. As Jeff points out, the origins of Scott's Day of Giving rest in a late 19th century campus celebration that started in the spring. Scott's Day at Monmouth really goes back to the late 19th century. Uh, it was always uh, the spring after a cold Midwest winter, a time when people wanted to sort of welcome a new season and shake off the, the, the cold. And really, I mean, the whole uh, idea of a rites of spring goes back centuries and it was sort of the rebirth and and welcoming of, of a new uh, season. So in the early days, it really revolved around May, May Day and, and uh, a May festival. And 1896 was, was the first actual uh, formal event that was called uh, a May party. And it was held in the auditorium between two uh, of the women's literary uh, societies, um, Eleutherian and ABL. And so they did the whole thing with dances and a maypole and everything and crowned a queen. So that was very popular, but the men felt a little left out. So they started their own tradition called the nightshirt parade. And they would gather the night before in front of Wallace Hall in their nightshirts and they would parade through town with a band and they would uh, go to the faculty houses and sing and ask for food and drink. And so that became sort of a tradition. And then eventually uh, it, be it became uh, an outdoor event and they moved the whole May party to what was called the Valley Beautiful. And that was uh, sort of a, a, a dry creek bed that was south of McMichael Hall. It was a natural valley. And it provided a nice space for a stage. And they did very uh, formal uh, dances that had been well choreographed and elaborate costumes. And they would gather, uh, the women would gather in front of Wallace Hall and they would parade down to the uh, the grounds and um, do these elaborate dances and they would actually uh, spend weeks in advance uh, preparing for this. They'd bring in a dance instructor and they had a gymnasium on the top floor of McMichael Hall where they would work out all of their uh, moves and 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 make these elaborate costumes. So uh, they would do that. They would they would have the May Queen and and later on they added a male component, a consort uh, who was known as the Chancellor. And every year it got a little more elaborate. Uh, they would, uh, of course, always end with the winding of the maypole. But they would have uh, townspeople uh, show up in the hundreds and even thousands to see this uh, incredible pageant each year. College activities continued in the Valley Beautiful until World War II. Then the event took a turn because the times had changed 
as well as the physical landscape of the campus. After the war, there was a desire to get back to normalcy, and they revived what was then called the May FET, F-E-T-E, and they would actually uh, move to a different location because the Valley Beautiful had been paved over with a parking lot. So south of the old gymnasium was another uh, sort of natural valley, and that's where it was held in those days. And again, they would have uh, part of the women's physical education program was was dance, and they would uh, learn these dances. But they'd also have the college uh, orchestra perform, and they would have the crowning of the queen and king, or actually chancellor. Uh, 1949 saw uh, the chancellor uh, being crowned was uh, Harold Red Poling, who had come here during the war as a naval flight pre-flight cadet who decided to return to Monmouth after the war. He went on to become the CEO of Ford Motor Company and gave the naming gift for the old Carnegie Library, which is now Poling Hall. Um, so a lot of those, uh, the royalty from those days were, were some of the big men on campus and big women. Um, but there was also, uh, it, it was the whole campus uh, got involved in this and they, it was really a high point of the season. The day continued to evolve when it reached the 1950s. It then began to reflect students' changing taste and styles. Uh, the old uh, Maypole pageants were kind of uh, seen as antiquated. And uh, the big thing was the spring formals where, you know, the, the men would would dress up in their tuxedos and the women in their gowns and they would have the big formal. And so they kind of uh, got rid of the uh, the Maypole pageant and um, they still had the crowning of the, the king and queen at the, at the dance. And that, that kind of continued to be popular. We're talking to Monmouth College historian and publications editor Jeff Rankin. He's walking us through a history of what has evolved into Monmouth Scott's Day of Giving, the college's annual spring celebration. In the 1960s, a Monmouth alumnus introduced the Campus Scott's Olympics. That became a big part of the college's annual spring celebration. And Ralph Whiteman from the class of 51 was hired as the first director of the new student union, which had a student union board. So he worked with those students to uh, come up with what they called Scott Olympics. It was uh, debuted in 1963, right after the Monmouth Knox relays on the football field. And they came up with all kinds of innovative games and Olympic-style events. Uh, They did a six-day bicycle race that went day and night. They did uh, wheelbarrow um, relays. They did mud pit scrambles. Um, you name it, anything they could come up with, they did. Uh, they One year they decided to have parachutists come uh, down onto the football field to kick it off, and they got blown off course and landed on a roof nearby campus. So there was always something unexpected happening, but it was a lot of fun. In the early 1970s, Jeff notes that life became more serious because of the Vietnam War, the OPEC-imposed oil embargo, and the Watergate scandal, among other events of the time. So the college's spring celebration changed again to reflect the campus zeitgeist. You know, students really couldn't be bothered with these kind of springtime pageants and and balls and all that sort of thing. 
But a, a, a sort of a trend sweeping the nation was the Festival of Life at a lot of colleges. And that would be uh, an outdoor uh, sort of celebration along the uh, line of Woodstock where you'd have bands and you'd have people sort of uh, relaxing, maybe uh, in, indulging in, in some illegal substances. But uh, it, was, it was kind of a, a thing that hit everybody in Monmouth. Uh, was no different. Uh, had the Festival of Life. Then in uh, 1974, they decided to combine the Scott Olympics with the Festival of Life, and they called it the uh, Festival Olympics. Also in 74, they had the big streakers weekend, uh, which was something that happened uh, nationwide, but it, it happened at Monmouth, no less. With the dawn of the 1980s, the college welcomed Bruce Haywood as Monmouth's 10th president. So Scott's day took another term to reflect the new president's priorities and interest. Uh, so things uh, started to uh, become more formalized in a way, but there was still an interest in doing some kind of fun spring event. So the Student Association got together with the faculty and proposed a new event called uh, Scott's Day. And this would be an unad- unadvertised day uh, nobody would, knew when it would happen, and the only way they knew it would happen is when the Highlander uh, pipe band would come parading through the dorms at 7 a.m. and wake everybody up. And so this was the start of a new tradition in the 80s. Uh, they, they would assemble on Wallace Hall Plaza in their pajamas and have a day of fun and games, fun. Then in the early 90s, um, the faculty were kind of getting tired of this, uh, the students dictating when classes would be canceled. So they proposed doing a Scots weekend that wouldn't interfere with uh, classes. So the events were held on the weekend, and it went over okay, but not. it wasn't the same in the students' eyes. So when Sue Huseman became the president in 94, uh, she decided we would kind of go back to our Scottish roots and she uh, instituted, we did uh, the Flatland Games, which had uh, things like the caber toss and tug of war that would have been sort of the Scottish games of the time, and celebrating our Scottish heritage. Then in the 21st century, things got serious on campus. Scott's Day finally returned as well in a new format and with a new purpose. Uh, finally, in the 2000s, um, and, and 2010s, it, it, there was a movement toward being a little more serious. Uh, you know, Knox down the road did their flunk day, and we thought, well, you know, we're, we're above that. We're going to celebrate academics a little more. So they still did a, uh, the day would, classes would be canceled. They'd start the day with an honors convocation. And after that, uh, the fun began, but they also had an academic uh, component, which uh, they would go into the, uh, the now the new Huff Athletic Center and stage all kinds of academic uh, uh, programming. They do theater presentations and musical and little, little uh, plays in Spanish and all kinds of things like that. And that was... Uh, fairly popular and then later it evolved into the started calling it scholars day at that time we didn't really have a name scott's day anymore there was no scott's day so at the when we were starting to come up with a day of giving in in 2017 
uh, it was kind of decided, well, we really need to call it Scott's Day because it was such a, a memorable part of our history. And it's a day not only to give to the college and help it uh, grow, but also to celebrate our past and our tradition. So Scott's Day of Giving was born. We still have Scholars Day. Uh, next week will be Scholars Day, and we'll have our Honors Convocation and when we get back to full normalcy next year, we'll have a full day of fun um, along with the academics. That's Monmouth College historian and editor Jeff Rankin explaining how Scott's Day of Giving evolved out of a late 19th century campus celebration of spring. Be sure to check out Jeff's Scott's Day of Giving presentation. You can find that on the college's Facebook page, facebook.com slash College. Check out the video section of the Facebook page to find it. You can learn more about the day, including how Adam West, who played TV's Batman in the 1960s, got involved with the day back in the 1960s. And of course, also the latest issue of the Monmouth College magazine has a cover story that's all about Scott's Day of Giving as well. Be sure to check that out. There's a link to it as well in the news and events section of the Monmouth College website. And then it's going to be a 30 for this 27th edition of Monmouth College's 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Have a nice day and stay healthy. Thank you.